Welcome to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. This ain't your grandma's podcast. Welcome back to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. And if you're a first-time listener, I'm glad to have you. My name is Aaron Batty, and I'm your host as always. In this special episode, I have a guest, Jonathan Edwards. Jonathan Edwards is a preacher of the gospel from Texas. He's also my cousin, but he is well qualified to talk on the subject of pornography and the church. So if you're a new listener and you don't realize I'm doing a 30-day newsletter by email, obviously, and uh, that's going on right now. I think as I record this, we are on day four. Um, But anyways, I asked Jonathan to come on about a month ago, and he did. And to address several questions that were not addressed in the podcast that I did before with Matt Tyson and the one that I'm going to be doing after this with Kellen Owen. Uh, So I'll just give you a preview of some of the questions that I asked Jonathan and that he walks through to just give you an idea of what will be coming. And then I'm not going to talk a lot more after that because it's a long episode, as you can tell from the timestamp. So here's what we basically get into. I asked Jonathan what his thoughts are generally about the subject of or the issue of pornography in the church, how we've dealt with this historically in the past, good and bad takeaways from that, and then a special question that I really wanted to address for women and for girls, and that is the issue of porn as it relates to women. Is it a problem? Um, how do we give counsel to this population group where it's deemed to be not a problem generally, but I'll just give you a heads up. Uh, we both agree that it is an issue for women in the church, and it is important to m- make those who do deal with it, make them feel heard and felt and understood, and and just give them direction where very little attention is given. So I'm, I'm already giving away kind of the direction we go there. And then finally, I asked Jonathan, you know, what do we need more of in overcoming this sin? And when somebody does come to confess the sin, what do you tell them? So those are all the things that uh, we cover in this episode. Without further ado... I know you don't want to listen to me anymore. Let's just get right into it. Here it is, the interview with Jonathan Edwards. You tell me when you're ready. I'm so ready. Let's do it. Okay, that was Jonathan Edwards, people. (laughs) (laughs) And we're here uh, talking about a very sensitive subject, but he was was more than willing to come on and discuss this with me, and I appreciate you coming all the way from Texas. I only came for this and nothing else. (laughs) And, and, And a different congregation's paid the plane ticket. <laughs> <laughs> right. So uh, anyways, I appreciate you very much for doing this. It took some time and sure. sacrifice, and I hope the people appreciate that. Yeah. Glad to be here. So we kind of talked on the phone a while back uh, in prep for this, and I thought you shared some good thoughts with me at that time mm-hmm. that maybe you can relate to the audience. But specifically, what I, I've probably already said this in the intro um, after I've edited this episode, but okay. um, we're talking about pornography as an issue in relation to the church at large, um, right? There's lo- you could take that lots of different directions, but we're going to talk about specifically um, as it affects or does it affect women in the mm-hmm. church? Kind of how has the church dealt with this issue historically when it comes up in the lives of Christians, and what are some issues that we need to be um, kind of moving toward? As you know, we're both preachers, we're both evangelists, we're obviously in a whether we like it or not, in a position where people are going to come to us with these issues. So especially Correct. preachers, where should we be moving toward as we go to counsel people with these sexual sins? So that's kind of the issue. Um, what's your general thoughts just at first? Hmm. Well, 
general thoughts related to the issue of porn with Christians and the church. Uh, I think that it's been an issue that's, that's shrouded in shame and fear and guilt for generations. And, you know, we, we have a very, for better or for worse, we, we, we like to think that we have it all together. And so when we gather with the saints, um, as long as we look like we have it all together, then, then we don't want to bring up things that maybe are secret. Porn is definitely a sin that you can get away with, whereas other sins are uh, on the nose, so to speak. And so when somebody's struggling with a very visible sin, you know, we tend to uh, maybe look down at them or, or pity them or whatever, but when it comes to porn, it's just between me and God, and so I can uh, kind of work through this on my own. The problem that I've seen with a lot of people that struggle with porn is this cycle of, now I'm going to overcome it, I've prayed about it, and then I get bored, or um, this arousal is excited within me, or whatever it is that triggers the, the, the sin, I fall back into it and maybe binge for a day two, three, four, week two, three, four of porn use, and then I feel miserable, I feel so low, everybody else has got it figured out except me, and so i got to put on my mask, and I'll just pray about it, and uh, that person goes almost like down a spiral of never feeling assured or good about who they are in Christ, which is the opposite of what we ought to be. You know, the Bible so many times talks about the blessings that come in Christ. And I think one of my major concerns for the individual in the church is just balancing the facade of what we think people ought to look like and, and be like with the vulnerability that would come from revealing, hey, I don't have it all together. And so, you know, one of the things that I shared with you is that porn, when, when somebody tells me that they struggle with pornography, it doesn't shock me. I'm not, I don't pity or um, revile or, you know, pull back like, ew, you're gross. And it could be from my therapy background where I'm dealing with a lot of things that, um, Maybe I'm just desensitized to sin yeah. uh, per se as far as people admitting sins. But I think what we ought to be doing, and we'll talk about this maybe more in the podcast, but I think the direction we ought to be going is less about uh, creating shame and a stigma around it and more about reassuring people that, that just like any other sin, if you're willing to simply repent and come back and confess and be faithful, then we want to be here to help support you on a journey towards purity. You actually mentioned something, and I'm glad you did. It's um, You used the word shame, and you didn't exactly say how it plays a role in this cycle. You just kind of implied that it does play a role. I was scrolling on Instagram the other day, and of course when you're looking at accountability softwares, uh, for brothers and whatnot, and you're researching pornography, you get these right. ads for like therapy and so forth, <laughs> you know? Sure. So one of the things that I've seen on a lot of these ads, and, and then and some of the articles that I've read is, some people are saying that shame, and this is not necessarily religious institutions, that shame is the main reason why people stay in this cycle of pornography. I can definitely see how it is definitely a reason. Do you think that that's fair to say that that's the reason? Well, I don't know if I have enough data to say that's definitive, but I would say that shame was the first emotional response to sin that we have recorded in the Bible. Why did Adam and Eve hide? 
I was naked and, and afraid or ashamed, right? And so I think part of the human condition from the fall in the garden is that when we do what is wrong and we know what's right, like our great forerunners, Adam and Eve, we try to hide ourselves. And we ought, you know, James 5, we ought to be confessing our sins one to another, praying for one another. We ought to, but when it's the fruits of the Spirit versus the the works of the flesh, and and I want to talk about work of the flesh in this study specifically, but man, the flesh really wants to hide. It wants to hide from God, wants to hide from brethren. So yes, I would say that it's likely that shame, fear are the number one motivations behind why people don't want to talk about this. I like how you said that the flesh likes to hide from God. I've, I've never thought of it like that. I've been talk, think, reading a lot about darkness, but when you put it like that, that's a very relatable vi- image in my oh, head. Oh, totally. And I think about in John 1, right, about the darkness doesn't understand the light. And, and a lot of times we think about that as that's, that's other people, right? Yeah. I'm on God's side, so I always want to do what's right. And we don't think about how there is a, a fight, like in Romans 7 and... Eight. There is this fight of my flesh versus the spirit. And the, the heart that's set towards the flesh, we know that it can't please God, even if you're a Christian. And so what I need to do is make sure that I'm willing to hold my flesh accountable. That's why we're having these conversations, why you're, you've recorded and have so many things this month related to this issue. We don't want to hide from God and brethren anymore. We're not going to make this a—we're not going to have a culture of secret shame I think we ought to have a more healthy, positive view about how to talk about porn. I don't want to have a healthy view about porn. I want to have a healthy view of talking about porn. Yeah. And to, uh, you know, maybe calm some people's fears too. I don't, some people have, um, might have the idea that talking about it at all is inappropriate. I do think that just talking about it just to talk about it or for entertainment or whatever would be an inappropriate discussion. But I think within this context of trying to get to the root of the issue, help people with it and that kind of thing. Um, I just want to maybe plug that for people that may have this hesitancy of having well, this discussion. Certainly two thoughts first, uh, you know, let course jesting, you know, we're not supposed right. to, to have course jesting and that would be talking about sex or the human body or porn in ways that uh, is especially uh, not with people that you ought to be. Right. Um, and so I advocate the same thing that, that we're not going to, to coarsely jest. I will, however, suggest that we ought to be more sex positive and body positive. And some of you might be cringing from therapy terms, right? Like, <laughs> oh, that just sounds so woke. But um, even though those may be more mental health focused language, the Bible is sex positive, right? We, we understand from Proverbs 5 that we are to rejoice in the wife of thy youth. Let her breast satisfy you at all times. Yeah. Like that's scripture. And, and, and Song of Solomon is a whole book. And I know some people disagree with me and they say, this is about Jesus and the church. It's all metaphorical. That's the most uh, maybe racy metaphor I've ever read. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't think it's about Jesus and the church. I agree. I do think it's about a husband and wife. And especially chapter four, it's their wedding night, and he is visualizing her for our benefit of this man and this woman. So anyway, uh, you know, as she undresses for him, the idea is that 
it's sex isn't bad. Sex is good. Sex is a gift of God. What porn does is like any sin, it takes something good that God has given, it manipulates and distorts it, and it provides something that God never intended for sex to be, and that was the uh, the manipulation and misuse of other people's bodies for your pleasure. So uh, when people come into my therapy office, I will be very sex positive with them whenever it's in what sex ought to be, right? Yeah. And when it's what sex ought not to be, then I want to help them be accountable to overcome that. And I guess I should qualify. Uh, these are people who want a religious part of therapy. I do secular therapy as well, and I'm probably not as overt in secular therapy as I am with people that want to have a religious part. Yeah, I appreciate you explaining that, and I agree 100%. Um, my job here today is to simply pull out linchpins and let you <laughs> okay. flood forth with... <laughs> Word this, vomit? With, <laughs> no, 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 with, with uh, this this knowledge that you have, and I appreciate your, your comments there. <laughs> um, okay, well, with that being said, you know, <clears throat> I grew up in the church. Sure. And so did you. Mm-hmm. Um as a history, you know, I'm 30 or... I'm 38. 38. So, I'm seeing some white in your beard, by the way. <laughs> my, so. Mine's a pigment disorder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so is mine. My, it's called old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, back to the point. <laughs> anyway, so we've seen kind of at least both of us 30 years or such around there sure. of how the church has handled this issue. Um and I've definitely had problems with pornography in my past. I've not been uh, private about that. Mm-hmm. How would you say that, w- as a church, this issue has been handled? And would you say uh, 10 out of 10 rating for <laughs> the services rendered or less? Oh, definitely not 10 out of 10. And, you know, let me just give grace to previous generations who tried their best, right? Uh, I do think that, that some people take a very negative view and uh, maybe they wanted to get up in front of a lot of people at a large church meeting and just really bring down the hammer. And, and their thought is I'll bring down the hammer so hard that it'll scare people straight and they'll stop looking at porn. And I think there's a place for that, but it, it ought to be commingled um, with shepherding someone out of it. it. It, you know, it's maybe you've heard the, uh, analogy cattle are driven sheep are led yeah and that analogy can be used for a lot of different things for this discussion i think we've had people that wanted to drive people out of pornography use like a cowboy and what i'm suggesting is we ought to be shepherding people through um even those have extreme cases that we might call porn addiction even down to the the young teen who's feeling so embarrassed and guilty because uh, he or she got caught by their parent, you know, for the first time. I think in church history, as far as uh, the culture that you and I grew, have grown up in in the United States, and maybe for any listeners around the world, there may be a, some degree of variance. But for us, unfortunately, I feel like porn was elevated on it's a greater sin than other sins. And it's part of a, a group of sins that usually they're sexual, right? Sexual behaviors that we look to as 
well, they're worse than other sins. And you know, I get it. Romans 1, for example, uses certain sexual behaviors as people who have turned their back completely on God, and, and therefore it's because of that behavior that they've given themselves over to this complete delusion. I can't deny it. The scripture says that. What I'm concerned specifically with porn is uh, if you gossip, if you backbite, if you slander, that's fine. As long as you don't look at porn. Yeah. And as long as you're not looking at porn or, you know, engaging in some promiscuous sexual behavior, then these things, you know, we might not like it, but it's okay. But the moment that porn comes into a person's life, the way that I've seen people talk about uh, in, 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 you know, 25 years of me kind of being aware of it, it's definitely shame and fear focused. I... Uh, again, I want to credit previous generations with, with at least attempting to address the issue, but I think what we're after in this day and age is trying to shepherd people through it, meaning I will correct you. It's a sin. You ought to stop. But two, I want to help you be accountable. I want to help you set boundaries, and I want to help spiritually form, reform your heart. And I think that's been missing. What the narrative has been is stop, don't look. And I'm saying well, I want you to stop and not look, but let's make sure we set up some healthy boundaries so that you don't get close again, or that when you do get close, you're able to reach out to someone, and we're, we're, we're helping you produce fruit that helps you overcome this. And to previous generations, too, that um, are still alive, they, they didn't experience the porn distribution and consumption level uh, that it's at right now, so... Um, I guess that would be another thing to take into account that it really is a different ball game now. And um, people that grew up in the 1960s and now they're, what would they be? I don't know. They're, they're 80 years old now, 70 sure. years old. They might listen to our conversation and think, well, this is ridiculous, you know, but they don't, they don't realize how the digital age has taken pornography and turned it into a, a three headed monster. That oh, it yeah. is. So maybe some generational gap on just simply, how bad the issue is to begin with, and then and then how we dealt with it and are dealing with it. It's a silly analogy, but I heard someone say that porn in the 60s, 70s, 80s uh, was like a kitten. And porn, once the internet uh, became uh, high enough speed that one could pursue whatever vice they wanted, has become like a saber-toothed tiger that shoots lasers out of its eyeballs. Now, that's a silly analogy, but that is, to your point, what we're trying to explain, that it is so accessible in such a private way uh, that, that people who have grown up, especially a generation coming just after me, that grew up with smart tech from birth, they've never known what it's like to not have something at their fingertips. Mm-hmm. And so for those that, that spent 50, 60, 70 years of their life without the digital age, it, it probably is very easy to think, why can't you just not look at this? Whereas a younger generation's brains have been trained around instant gratification. So yeah, it's uh, very much a generational issue. Yeah, so I, I, you know, there's probably lots of factors involved, but I appreciate your take there. Um, yeah, I can't disagree with anything you said. Well, with that being said, let's go on to talking about probably what is, to me, one of the, and I don't even know how to describe it. 
I guess one of the more difficult, nuanced discussions of talking about pornography, and let me explain myself. The issue is as it affects women. Now, the reason that this is difficult, I think, is because, and you're about to reveal maybe where you agree or disagree with me on this. Sure. I just know from a statement of fact that women have come to me, not in droves, um, but a few women over the years have told me that they've had pornography issues, whether Mm -hmm. they were recovered and it was simply because the uh, conversation in a group, you know, was fitting um, and they felt comfortable talking about it or whether they said, hey, you know, I know you've been talking about pornography and I'm dealing with this too. I'm really looking forward to your newsletter, whatever, you know. It's something that some women experience problems with. But it is, in research and so forth, does seem to be a little bit different for women. Regardless, a lot of people in the church that I've come in contact, especially that older generation, act like women don't have a problem with pornography at all. And not even just older generations, people my age, because if you're a woman that's not having a problem with it, and none of the people in your friend group do, well then, it must not be a problem for any women. The only thing I found, and then I'll let you talk for just a moment. The only thing I found is in, in listening to some women talk about their struggles with pornography on podcasts and so forth, it, I have uh, heard, and it makes sense, where these women that do have a problem with it, they then be, seem to feel even more shame because not only is it, uh, <laughs> you know, it's a sexual sin that is lascivious and, and all that, but. I must be the only woman that struggles with it because women aren't supposed to struggle with it. So then they f- f- right. feel more isolation. Right. So the question that I have to ask you is, what is your take on the issue of porn among women in the church? Is it a real thing? Did I, you know, do you disagree? And if it is, um, just talk about it for a minute. Well, I will try my best to keep my thoughts organized. I could probably get pretty rambly. So let me start with a short answer and then maybe a medium answer, and then a long answer. I'll try to speak up. <clears throat> yes, I think it's an issue for women as much as it is an issue for men. That's the short answer. The middle answer I would give is that uh, I, I take a very traditional view, morally, spiritually, whatever you want to call it, of men and women. I imagine most people who are going to be listening to this also take the view I'm about to share, But in case some don't, I'd like to just maybe set the parameters of of my view on gender. Um, While we live in a postmodern world that has postmodern views on gender identity, I believe that God created us as male and female and that there are only two genders. I believe that those genders are distinct and that we ought to honor God with how we were born by living out our life as that gender. I don't take the view that a gender only looks one way, meaning all men are cowboys and all women are princesses. So, you know, I think that tomboy type girls are just as female as the princesses. I think that sensitive, um, quiet boys are just as male as the, the, the dominant type. And I think our, our culture does a great disservice by trying to typecast those as that they're gender confused. Anyway, how this relates to porn is I do think that there is uh, evidence that there is a stronger urge, a larger population percentage. I'm not certainly 
or certain how I want to describe it, but it seems like men are more afflicted than women are visually. And since porn is a visual uh, behavior, then it caters more to the male audience. And so, yes, we can acknowledge that this type of sin, it seems to be male-focused. I can say that and, I guess this is me in the long answer now, maybe, maybe, maybe I already started the long answer. I can say that about the statistical group who's looking and who's consuming porn. And I can also say that a woman who looks at porn is a real person with a real problem and she's not an anomaly and she's not broken and she's not one of a kind. Um, I know of many men in a relationship with a woman that she is naturally more leader-like and more assertive and he's more passive and um, <clears throat> you know, willing to be subservient. And yet he's still, by God's design, the leader of that home. And she must submit and he must lead. And it's not natural for them to do that, but they submit to God's plan. So it is with, with this, it might be that she's not, <clears throat> excuse me, that she might not be the traditional uh, type of female. And, and so maybe she is very visually drawn to porn. It could be also that she's had some sexual trauma in her past. And so porn and uh, sexual experiences, which we know that people who've had trauma a lot of times turn to because now they have control again. Control was taken from them by somebody else. Maybe if they were raped or if they were assaulted or if they were molested. And so they will turn to what they have control over. And if they have control over their body, then they, they give that body over, whether it be to sexual pleasures or to consuming pornography. Not saying that everyone who looks at porn has had that happen to them. What I'm simply su suggesting is this is a multifaceted uh, issue, like a spider web, right? And we can't put everybody in a single camp. So even though the scriptures, for example, like in Matthew, where Jesus says uh, that if you look after a woman uh, with, with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. I don't think that that scripture was intended to suggest only men lust. Agreed. <laughs> right? Like the, It's obvious that within the culture, the context that he was preaching, the context that many of these Bible books were written in, it was a, a culture where men led, that men had authority, and therefore the books would be written to men. And then the information would be disseminated to the family of that man. They had patriarchs. I know the patriarchy is a kind of a triggering word to some people, but the idea of a patriarchal system is that the man who was the leader of the family or leader of this group would then disseminate the information. And so Jesus would preach it saying, he who looks after a woman to lust and uh, well, has committed adultery in his, in his heart, then what we ought to do is take that and disseminate it to our families and tell our sons and our daughters, tell our husbands and our wives that if you lust after others, that's adultery in your heart. And a man who looks at a woman, a woman who looks at a man, a man who looks at a man and a woman who looks at a woman, there's no form of that that is spiritually healthy. It's all unhealthy. And so even though the scriptures uh, focused towards a male audience, the way I apply it for these sisters is to encourage them and tell them, one, you're not alone, two, you can overcome, and three, the resources, even if they are maybe geared towards a male audience, 
we will find a way to help you overcome these struggles as well. Good stuff. I am <laughs> glad you spoke to Matthew 5. Your take on why it was directed to men is something I've not heard before quite. I'm going to think about that. That was very interesting. I appreciate you plugging that. I, um, I, I have this passage, which I'm going to, if I haven't already in this newsletter, released it in regarding common myths about porn. Uh, Colossians 3, 5 is something that is gender neutral. And when I say that, I'm not like advocating multiple gender. I get it. I get it. He says here something that applies to all genders uh, or both genders. He, he rebukes uncleanness, passion, evil desire, covetousness. Um, all of those categories or any one of those categories would include looking at pornography and would apply as equally to a man or a woman. Certainly. But I've heard some people talk about Matthew 5 as if it, no, it is talking to the man. Um, I just, I don't understand that. I feel like it's pretty obvious that he's talking about both genders, but I just appreciate you adding that, and I thought I would just throw that in there. Well, I mean, I, I when people say it's written to a man, it has to be about men, um, I think there's some validity to it. It certainly is true, and I think you can look at the pattern in the scriptures that men are uh, typically the ones who are pursuing, uh, I'm thinking about maybe Judah and Tamar. Uh, I'm thinking about, off the top of my head, other relationships in the Bible where men are pursuing the sexual, uh, uh, sexually illegal relationships, where the way that women have to make a living, such as Rahab as a prostitute, uh, Tamar in a prostitute capacity, it could be the cultures within that they're living, that it operates that way. I'm, I'm kind of rambling, but the idea is when somebody says, well, that was written to men, so it's about men. I agree. Yeah, you're right. It is about men. But I look at, for example, in Proverbs 5, one that I mentioned about sex positivity, it says, let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you with all times with delight, be intoxicated with her love. That's totally from a father to a son explaining to him, Avoid adultery, avoid the adulterous woman, she's not worth it, rejoice in the wife of your youth. What do we infer about the woman's experience? Like, you don't get to enjoy this? Yeah. Well, that's silly. Of course she's supposed to enjoy it. Of course you look at Song of Solomon and she's praising her husband in that book. And so we can infer, in my opinion, we can infer in these scriptures from father to son or from male to male that there is room for uh, this discourse from the teacher also to a female. And one thing I don't think that you're saying, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, I, I'll speak for myself. Let me not speak for both of us. I'm don't not, project on me, Aaron. <laughs> I'm not saying, and I'm not insinuating that men and women have equal, um, maybe I want to back up. Men and women are drawn uh, by the same cues, whether it comes to like se sexually or um, when, when it comes to pornography. Um, because in research and so forth, there does seem to be an overwhelming amount of evidence toward men being more visual. And you'll see that pop up a lot if you've read anything on this subject. And women are more um, touch-based. And sure. women are a lot more driven toward uh, types of pornography that are more written or even chat rooms is things. It says that several statistics you can go to, Covenant Eyes being accountability software that says that women are two times more likely to be involved sure. in a chat room. 
part of that is actually skewed possibly because a lot of men logging in as women, uh, which is strange. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> regardless. Uh, sure. And then statistically here I have from um, Douglas Weiss in his book clean the percentage of young men in the u.s looking at sexually explicit materials ranged from 56 to 86 percent that's just young men uh, and then from his book also 17 percent of women struggle with pornography addiction mm-hmm. of course that says pornography addiction that's a very specific term sure um regardless i'm acknowledging yes there does seem to be a disparity between the number of men that are involved in the pornography industry and consuming it as opposed to women that's i'm not trying to say they're equal in terms of volume we're just trying to say that women do struggle with this, and if you are a woman struggling with it, you shouldn't feel like you're just a freak of nature and right, all that. Right. You know, if we were to visualize it with a bell curve, I think, you know, the as you're saying, the volume or the quantity of males to the volume or quantity of females, it's certainly there are uh, more males uh, than females. What I'm concerned about is the outlier the male who maybe isn't visually drawn, the female who is, do they have anyone who advocate for them in a conversation like this? So we both wholeheartedly agree that it seems biologically like males are more visually drawn and oriented. Females are more relational or emotionally drawn and uh, towards their partner instead of being visually drawn. Now, um, I'm married, and the the point I'm going to make is going to be towards a, a married audience. And so just that's my maybe what I want to say before I make this point. I'm not talking about that, that couples ought to be having sex before marriage, but I am making this point. Uh, it has been said that men need to have sex in order to feel close. It is said women need to feel close in order to have sex, which is a conundrum because one needs it to feel close and one needs to be close in order to feel it. And so you have this uh, adage and usually something that's an adage is based on some form of truth. Now, some couples may have a completely different experience than that, but it, it seems pretty traditional that men's sex drive and women's sex drive are how they come to arousal is a little bit different. I think we could apply it to this as well. With some of the things you just said, men are typically more visual-oriented, and so they're going to pursue forms of pornography that would stimulate that visual, whereas women are more relationally or emotionally stimulated, and so they will pursue a form of uh, lust or pornography or lasciviousness that would be more emotionally or relationally driven. You put in the, the thing that you sent me, erotica, like novels, uh, uh, manga or uh, the different forms of, 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 oh, I can't even think of the word off the top of my head, but what is it? Graphic novels, et cetera. Things that there's a story to it, yeah. whereas men don't care about the story. They just want to see, right? The women are drawn to a relationship that is sexually illicit, explicit, and yet they're going to read it and say, well, I didn't look at it like the guy did. And so he's uh, really gross. I'm, I'm interested in the relationship that, you know, this man and woman are having. And, and that's where I'm getting the, the satisfaction from. The problem is, and I've have, I have some experience with this in, um, you know, doing some uh, counseling work. The problem is 
she oftentimes is neglecting the needs of her spouse because she's having her emotional needs met in this form of lust and lasciviousness. She needs closeness in order to have sex, but she finds closeness in that, so she doesn't need sex. He needs sex in order for closeness, and yet uh, he can't have sex because she's finding satisfaction elsewhere. And so they're spiraling away from each other instead of uh, joining together and being the one flesh that God created them to be. I think you brought up a great point, and that's how pornography does have consequences greater than just the fact of it being a sin, and especially in a marriage. Well, even before, like um, if you've read, uh, we, we both have read a book that we don't necessarily recommend <laughs> that speaks to this a <laughs> sure. lot. Uh, We're talking about a spiritual book with information. Right. right. I'm going to name it. Every Man's Battle. And the reason we don't recommend it necessarily is because it, it sometimes gives you like more description than you really are looking for mm-hmm. in a spiritual book. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that, he talks about like even single men, like you, what you're doing with your eyes now is going to affect your marriage later. It has so much gra- uh, far-reaching consequences more than just what people think about when they first get into it. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you this. Um, the top 10 videos on Pornhub in like 2022 were violent. And it's been that way for a number of years where it's not just about some intimate act between a man and a woman. It's something unnatural. It's violent. It's, it's degrading towards women. And if that's what's being consumed, the top 10 consumption generationally, what, what is the view that, that young men are going to have of young women in a sexual relationship when they do get married and and what's their assumption of what that relationship ought to be. If it's based on what they have been consuming, then they're going to see their, this, this wife as a fembot who's just there for my sexual pleasure. And I get to debase her when we've been called to be like Christ in the church. And therefore I ought to be loving her in a sacrificial way, not objectifying her. So that's, I think part of the insidious, deadly consequences of modern porn use is that it trains someone to view the human body as not a person, but mm-hmm. as a means by which I will find the ultimate pleasure. And this uh, heteronormative, sexual, monogamous marriage that's just stale and boring, like, I don't want that. I want the stuff that I'm seeing mm-hmm. that, that everybody's experiencing. And I'm going to bring that. Well, what that does is that ruins healthy sex. It degrades, and for a woman who needs to, you know, and again, we're, we're speaking in, in very uh, loose terms, but a woman who needs to feel close in order to have sex, um, if she's being degraded to nothing more than the means to an end, how in the world will she ever feel close to that man? If you'd like to know more on this, I do recommend this uh, seminar, which you can find free on YouTube, but it's better if you buy it because it, anyways, um, <laughs> I'm not making money off this. <laughs> it's better if you buy it because some of the video sessions are like, um, the audio is behind the video, but it's called, uh, Mark Gungor is the guy that does it. He's a, uh, Christian pastor, counselor, marriage counselor. Sure. And it's called laugh your way to a better marriage. And he has a whole session where he talks about this issue and how, um, pornography and masturbation in a marriage and outside of a marriage, how it actually has detrimental effects on that marriage because it does circumvent the system that God created for man to be fulfilled by the woman and vice versa. So I would recommend getting that, watching it. It's like his, maybe the fourth session in this three hour seminar. 
Um, really good. Mark Gungor. You know, First Corinthians 7 is probably the least romantic scripture <laughs> about a healthy sex life. Um, and the reason I keep bringing sex up in a conversation about porn is just to validate and to remind us that God does have a plan for our bodies. And we've been bought with a price. Our body's not our own. And so we ought to honor him with our bodies. And that includes when you're single and when you're married. But that 1 Corinthians 7, that your body's not your own, it belongs to your marriage partner. And her body belongs to you, man, and, and uh, woman, his body is yours. You know, and it, it, The idea is it's... You, People can't see it because it's a podcast, but I'm, I am now twirling my right hand in a cycle, right? And, and a healthy relationship, this healthy interaction means that I am pursuing your needs. You are pursuing my needs. And it's beautiful. Even when somebody may be hypersexual and the other one is very non-sexual, uh, to pursue each other's needs is, I think, as rewarding and fulfilling as it gets because there's a lot of emotional and mental connection as much as there is physical stimulation in the relationship it's the idea of i care about you more than i care about me and if both people are doing that the young people say that's fire right like that they call (laughs) (laughs) they say that is it's it's really good this is god's design and what porn does is it says it's all about me. It's all about my needs, and yeah. you don't even exist. And maybe somebody else has already said this in your the, the things you've recorded. This is kind of unrelated to our talk, but I'll make this point, and then we can move on. The images, the videos, the whatever, that's somebody's daughter or son. That's somebody's sister or brother, maybe even husband or wife. That's a human being. And I've heard some things lately about something called ethically sourced pornography. It's this, you know, the latest craze to avoid, you know, the shame of what the righteous shame of what pornography is. I'm just going to share you. And this is an opinion from the book of Jonathan one verse one. There's no Mm -hmm. such thing as ethically sourced porn Mm -hmm. because even if, People have, you know, made sure that the performers are not on drugs or are being, you know, manipulated, whatever. Even if it's too consenting or whatever, the idea is that person is a human and it's not ethical to consume their body like they're a product. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I appreciate you bringing up that point. That's, uh, Mm -hmm. I agree wholeheartedly. Well, let's transition now away from talking about uh, specifically women in this issue. Let's um, let's kind of get down to where we need to be moving toward in trying to um, fight for freedom from porn with, with other sure. Christians. Um, how do you think that? What? Let me start that again. What do we need to be doing more of, and mm-hmm. maybe less of? Okay, I think that. Uh we're going to frame this within the conversation of what is good and, you know, like Philippians 4, whatever is good, whatever is holy, whatever is lovely, think on these things, right? So as we talk about this discussion, like it's got to be framed in a way that is, is, is appropriate. We're not just going to talk about anything and everything whenever we try to change church culture. 
But I heard uh, one time, it wasn't about porn, it was about sexual behaviors that were not appropriate. And this, this guest on the show that I was listening to, some apologetics podcast, had been pursuing one type of uh, sexual behavior for a number of years that was sinful, and then decided, or was convicted, and, and from, I don't know his religious perspective, but uh, came to the Lord, per se, and then pursued a righteous uh, relationship. And so the host says, uh, how do you go from years of, of preferring this sexual behavior to preferring a different kind? And the man said, well, I actually still prefer that, you know, the original kind. I just know this is God's plan, and so this is where I ought to be. And so I had to get really strong abs. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think I was out for a jog or something, and I was like, what in the world? And the host laughs, and there's this, like, awkward pause. What in the world does he mean, strong abs? And he then talks about the acronym oh, okay. of <laughs> accountability, boundaries, spiritual formation. Ooh, that's good. Now, I want to tell your listeners uh, from Matthew chapter 12, there's a little um, teaching that Jesus does at the end of a chapter where he's been talking about, <clears throat> rather, he's been talking to religious teachers who won't listen to him. He has clearly shown truth. They, they deny that it comes from heaven. They say it's from Beelzebub. And so then he, he shares this little uh, teaching at the end. I want to read it if it's okay. Yeah, uh, Matthew 12, verse 43, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they will enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also will be with this evil generation. Now there's context to that. And it, Obviously, Jesus is talking about these Jewish leaders, but what we can apply to this discussion is as follows. Somebody is struggling with porn. They decide to clean house, so they stop watching porn. They don't do anything else. What happens? It comes back like a beast, and kind of like this, an evil spirit bringing seven, <clears throat> seven spirits more evil than itself. And it says the state is worse than it was at the first. How many can relate to that where you, you struggled, you had a lot of shame, a lot of fear, a lot of guilt, maybe from others, maybe from self. And so you said, this is the time I'll get rid of it. I won't do it anymore. And, and you're clean for a few days or a week or a month or whatever. But then it comes back with a vengeance and the state is worse than the first. Why is that? And I think we could answer. And I think what Jesus is after here is that Jesus is telling these religious teachers, if you don't fill your life with God's teaching, if you're just an empty house that you've swept clean your morality, when that evil spirit comes back, it's not enough to save you that you just had your house clean. And so it is with uh, the church and what we ought to be teaching each other about porn. We ought to be encouraging each other to have strong abs. You can't only do one part of that acronym. Accountability is essential from James chapter five, right? But if accountability is the only thing you do, if you just confess, confess, we're no different than a, a group that has a priest or a pastor that sits in a little box and you go and you tell them, I did it again. Okay, don't do it again. And then you leave. That's not how you overcome. What about boundaries? We need boundaries, right? 
But if somebody only has boundaries and they say, I won't look at it anymore. You know what uh, I'm really good at? I'm sure you are. You can, you can say this about anything. Maybe somebody's dieting or they're wanting to exercise. We're really good at convincing ourselves not to do it. Like we're, we're motivated for a week and then a week later, like it's cold outside. I don't want to go for a run, right? And so suddenly I can circumnavigate or I can get around the boundary that I set for myself. So if I only have accountability, it doesn't work. If I only have boundaries, it doesn't work. Spiritual formation is the key. One must be filled with the fruits of the Spirit. And so I'm actively going to, uh, this is to answer your question, what does the church need to do to fight Satan. We actively need to engage in accountability. Listeners, in your home congregation, there must be a culture shift towards accountability and confession that is mutual. And that doesn't mean that you you confess to everyone all the time. It doesn't mean that we have testimonial time in our churches. But you need to ask yourself, is there at least one, I hope there's two, maybe even three. Are there one, two, or three persons in this congregation that I could look at and say, I can tell him or her anything, and I don't have to worry about retribution of being vilified or uh, snobbed at or judged inappropriately? We ought to have that. That's accountability. We ought to have boundaries. And I know you're going to talk several times in this month about software and other means to control that, that just burst of desire. If we could just control it, right? With a healthy boundary. But then the third one is that churches ought to be uh, implementing spiritual formation where in the public assembly and encouraged for private studies, we're talking about what healthy, positive sex looks like. And that's, we don't talk about that. We only say sex is bad. What I've tried to advocate on your podcast and what I advocate with others is that sex is good. Yes. And what a difference that would have made in my life if I had heard, you know, everything I learned about sex, I feel like I learned from the locker room, mm-hmm. right? In middle school and in high school. And it was very much a me-driven, conquest-driven mindset of what sex was. If I could have had, and I know I'm projecting mm-hmm. about just from my own experience, but if I could have had training on this very healthy, positive view of, of sexuality, then I feel like that spiritual formation could have been more helpful for me. And maybe it, it would have been for others. So really long answer, but listener, you need to have strong abs, uh, accountability, boundaries, spiritual formation. Churches need to have and teach strong abs because, uh, final point, from Galatians chapter 6 We've got backpacks and we've got boulders. We're supposed to carry our own load. That's a backpack. And then we're supposed to help one another carry uh, burdens that that we can't carry on our own. That's the boulder. Porn, for some people, is a boulder. And for other people, it's a backpack. The guy or the the gal uh, who struggles with pride of life instead of lust of the flesh or lust of the eyes, the guy with pride of life, it's like a backpack. I can go through life. I can see this, you know, image and I can just walk away. That's a backpack. Others, it's a boulder. Lust of the flesh might be the primary lust. Lust of the eyes might be the primary sin that they struggle with. And so it's, it's, it's so difficult to lift that boulder alone. And so the ones, listen, church, for the ones who don't struggle with it, 
if your mindset can be, I will lift this boulder with you so that when I'm struggling with my arrogance and pride and haughty attitude, you can help me with that boulder because I can't, I can't lift that one on my own. I've already proven that I think I'm too good. I need to be humbled. Maybe you can help me with that. Here we are mutually helping each other with our strong abs. Can I steal your strong abs that don't even belong to you? <laughs> you yeah, you have my permission to take that, which uh, is not mine. <laughs> I really am going to use that. That was very good. I have one question of my own. I'm trying to make sure I understood the point uh, S, s- spiritual formation. You use like the reference of teaching um, sexuality in a healthy, biblical-based sense. What else would go inside that spiritual formation category? Well, I, I think any, any um, teaching that is going to draw you near to the heart of God. And I know that's very vague, and it sounds like that's all the commands of the New Testament. But, you know, Matthew 12, they were, I think it's connected to Matthew 23, where he is just blasting them for saying, you are whitewashed tombs. You look great on the outside. You're dead on the inside. You're full of dead men's bones, right? You clean the outside of the cup, and and the inside of it's all dirty. They were so hyper-focused with looking good they didn't realize that the inside was going to damn them to a sinner's hell. I'm worried, and again, this is from Jonathan's subjective perspective, I suppose, but I'm worried that our culture, more or less in the United States, is going down a similar way if we're not careful, where issues like porn and other things that cause shame, fear, right, embarrassment, we just cover it up and let's have it all together as long as you're wearing a suit and tie on a Sunday and you worship properly, then we don't really care about what you do the other six days. So spiritual formation is, specifically to this topic, yes, positive teaching about sexuality. But also, I think it is the, the mutual edification of one another on any Bible discipline so that our heart is not an empty house. It's a filled house. So when that evil spirit comes back, we are ready. We've got the sword of the spirit. We've got the shield of faith on. We've got the, the whole armor. The devil's shooting fiery darts at us, and we are able to block those fiery darts. That's spiritual formation. And our churches ought to be advocating for that and not a whitewashed tomb type of doctrine. So many good things in what you said. Um, I wish I could make comments on all of them that are, sure. are, are in unison, but I did have one little experience that kind of relates to, you were saying, um, being able to bear each other's burdens and empathize with people that struggle with this, even though you may not. I had my eyes opened a while back. There was a brother who's, um, he had been in prison. He had he had been uh, involved in dr- drugs and other things. So I've never been in prison. I've never sure. been involved in drugs. I could not relate to the types of burdens that he's overcome. And so there was this, um, not a homeless person, but there was somebody that was needing money. And this person had proven themselves to be untrustworthy through multiple encounters and all that. And um, sometimes it's easy to get you know, two strikes and you're out, right. <laughs> you know, and just sure. write them off. And, uh, this brother, uh, you know, in the same conversation with me was, he was displaying a level of empathy and he wasn't, I'm not talking about, he wasn't trying to, um, encourage this man's choices, sure, but just simply, 
um, saying, we're here when you want to, you know, change. We're here when you want to do what you, we've been telling you you need to do, you know, just leaving that door open. Right. Whereas I have a tendency, um, God forgive me for just wanting to close that door and say, listen, I've tried over and over and over. You know, this brother had experiences because people had written him off, I'm sure, in the past, and because, you know, what he's been through, that it really struck me, and I was like, it's because he can relate personally with that man. Sure. And uh, if if we could empathize like that on matters of sexual sin, especially older generations who may not have had the same experiences, but many have. We, we say the older generation, I say that, and forgive me, because older generation has dealt with sexual sin as well. It's just oh, yeah. looked different. The sexual revolution of the 1960s, our brotherhood took that on as pop culture <clears throat> around us was, was doing some things that maybe our country had never seen, you know, mm-hmm. in the history of our nation. So you, to your, to your point, even though it may look different, whether it's the sexual revolution of the sixties or whether it be the porn revolution of the nineties, two thousands and beyond, um, we've all, we've all been fighting the fight. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, uh, I agree with everything you said, accountability, boundaries, spiritual formation. There'll be more about those things in the newsletter. Well, let's finish up with one last talking point. Number five, if someone comes to you and confesses they have a porn problem, what do you, Jonathan, recommend to them? And what do you recommend others do? Now, you, you kind of talked about this, but sure. Um, here's the situation. Well, um, before I directly answer it, I want to um, say what ought we be doing as a congregation from time to time publicly. This is something a little bit new. And this isn't related to porn, actually. This is related to safety from sexual predators and trauma, etc. cetera. Uh, I believe that congregations ought to have... They're not, they, this isn't an ordained role. This is a Jonathan Edwards special. But <laughs> I think we ought to have two, three, four people, male and female, who are known in the congregation as safe people. Safe people who can advocate for you. And I think that once a month, whoever has the closing announcements on a Sunday morning can say, hey, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so, will y'all raise your hand real quick? Okay, we want to remember that these are our safe people. And if you, uh, if there's any abuse or any, we don't want to put thoughts in, you know, we don't want to create a narrative for people to then tattle. But it's like, these are our safe people. From time to time, they read books, they go to trainings, they do, th- and you don't have to have a piece of paper or a degree to be that safe person. It's just somebody who's known to be safe that would advocate. So I think churches ought to have those types. I want them in my home congregation. I've been advocating it in others. Those same people, we could say, raise your hand, brother, so-and-so, sister, so-and-so. Uh, these are our safe people. And just remember, if you're struggling with anything, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's drug addiction, maybe it's porn. We want you to know that sometimes coming up front in the gospel invitation is, uh, that's really challenging. And so you could go talk to them. Just know they're there. I think that's a great, safe way to address some very sensitive things. So that's, I think, before I answer your question, I wanted to bring that up. Allow me to hit my like button (laughs) on this social media profile. Okay, now proceed. Sure, sure. Okay, so the question was what if... What do I do if somebody comes to me and confesses a porn problem? The first thing I do is validate that they're a human being. I know that may sound like uh, goofy or maybe cheesy, but you don't know what it took for them to come forward. 
I don't know what it took for them to come forward. I don't know their family of origin or their past. I don't know who they're related to and how much fear they have that it's all going to fall apart. I don't know if their, their wife or their husband is going to feel like they've been betrayed for, you know, it's so nuanced. It's so complicated. And so the first thing, I don't care if you're a teen or if you're in your forties, whatever, the first thing when somebody comes and says, Hey, uh, I have been looking at porn for years. I can't seem to get over it. Typically they're crying when, you know, or they're, they're blushing because we don't talk about stuff like this, right? And then they'll, they'll say that, and the first thing I'll usually respond with is, thank you for telling me. I'm so glad you did. And I need you to know that you're more than porn. You're more than a person who consumes porn. I need you to know that. Do you know that? And typically they'll be like, yeah. And they'll kind of roll their eyes, or maybe they'll, they'll be, you know, like, wipe a tear away. It's essential to me, in a similar way that Jesus with in John chapter eight, the woman caught in adultery, mm. he, he did two very important things. Um, he respected the law and wouldn't condemn her without the second witness, right? And then he held her to a standard, go and sin no more. So friend, if you're listening to this and you're panicking that Jonathan doesn't, you know, smash them with scriptures, just know that I do hold people that confess that accountable. And I say, what can we do to make sure that you don't sin in this way again? But the first thing that I do is make sure that I'm not throwing stones at them because they're probably terrified that they came to talk to me. The second thing that I do is I get somebody who is part of their local congregation to, to be an advocate for them. I go around to other congregations uh, frequently for some reason, people are more comfortable talking to me sometimes than they are talking to members of their own congregation. They, they feel like nobody here can know, nobody here. I think that's actually not healthy to say, nobody at my home congregation can help me, so I'll talk to this person who's a thousand miles away. So what I do my absolute best is to say, who can you talk to here? The three of us, let's have a conference call. Uh, if I'm holding a meeting there, it's like, let's go get coffee with somebody. They've got to have local help. I have tried to do several things that were digital and online. And where I felt like they always fell short was that the ones who, who felt so embarrassed or ashamed that there was no way to talk to somebody local, they would flock to it. But there wouldn't be that accountability, you know, the strong abs because we would meet and then they'd go back to hiding. And I yeah. don't think we ought to be hiding. And then the third and, and, and the final thing I might recommend for them is to seek, if, if it's an addiction or if it's a behavior that they feel like they can't control, is that they need to seek a local, either mental health professional or uh, some sort of program. Now, I know our, our brethren may have a complicated view about like AA or celebrate recovery or other 12 step programs that are about addiction. And I, I understand maybe from a theological perspective that those places, uh, we might have pause or concern. I don't advocate for their theology, but, uh, many churches that I'm familiar with simply don't have a program. And what do you do with somebody who is, has an addictive behavior? They need help to overcome that addiction. And so I would recommend anyone use Psychology Today, which is like the white pages for mental health. And you can click on filters on the top, like Christian, make sure that they're a believer 
if you want a male or a female counselor, and it will show you all the profiles of people in your area whom you could work with and talk to. And Proverbs uh, chapter 20, verse 5 says that the heart of a man is like a deep well, but a person of understanding can draw it out. And I advocate that uh, a counselor or therapist, even if they're not a, a Christian, has certain skills to help you overcome behavior addictions. And uh, if you still feel concerned, I'm afraid they might try to talk me out of my faith. Just know this. I tell this to my clients every time in first session. I'm like a plumber. You can hire me. You can fire me. You don't owe me anything. You don't owe them anything. If a red flag is raised that they're trying to talk you out of your religion, then you just say, I'm not coming back, and you go find somebody else to help. But find help. That's the key. Find help. Thank you. Very good. I don't know that I could add anything to that. I mean, we, the, really, we could talk a lot more about it, sure. honestly. Uh, I have an episode on the podcast about accountability. Um, can't remember what it's called, but it's back there somewhere. And uh, on that one, I talk more to people about how to be an accountability partner, which I right. think is important, too, because I think um, I, I've seen, and I've been guilty of, you know, somebody comes to you and say, yeah, I'll be your accountability partner. Let's do it. But there's very little follow-up and there's sure. almost this expectation that this person is going to come sure. to me rather than me going to them. There's more facets to it. So um, what Jonathan just touched on is really just the surface, mm -hmm. but very, very much needed, very good. I think if we'll start there, uh, we have a good launching point. I agree. And, and I'll tell people that, you know, repentance and bearing fruits in keeping of repentance this is a lifestyle change. It's not a, well, I quit looking at porn, so now everything's great. You're going to reap what you sow. And that means you might have days, weeks, months, years of reaping shame, guilt, fear. Maybe if you're, if you're married, the betrayal that your partner feels that you've been looking at that, the, the lack of sexual intimacy that's come from that. You might reap what you sow for quite some time, but... I guess I want to, this will be my final thought. Friend, if you start sowing a new, grace-filled, repentant lifestyle, and you can endure the fruits that you're still going to be harvesting from an old, sinful lifestyle, if your mindset can be, I'm going to keep sowing because eventually I'll, I'll start reaping that, that I think is a lot healthier, practical, hope-filled mindset than to throw your hands up and say, well, I repented. Why am I still enduring these negative feelings or this negative relationship? That's because you're reaping what you sowed. Keep sowing a new way and it will change. Somebody said, put your body where it needs to be and your heart will follow. <laughs> I guess that would be the essentials of keep on sowing even when you don't see the immediate results sure. and your heart will follow. Sure. Well, anyways, um, yeah, we've talked for about an hour, and I'm going to have to cut some of this probably to uh, cut the little filler sure. stuff that really... You're censoring me, Aaron. You're censoring me. <laughs> yeah. Um, I appreciate the time that you spent answering these questions. I think that um, if you're listening, you have something to go off of. Take this and just use it as a springboard. Mm -hmm. Read the rest of the newsletter, and then look out for more resources from 5-Minute Bible Study. And look to Jonathan's podcast, Pure and Simple Bible, where I know that he's had a few discussions, like one recently with Russell Cope on sexual immorality. That's right. I was listening to that the other day. Very good. Um, so he has some you know, 
related content sure. to this and, and just a good podcast overall. So I would direct you there as well. Um, do you have any last comments, Jonathan? No, I would just, well, how do you say no? And then you have a comment. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this newsletter. And I look forward to the way that, that the fruits of this impact people's lives. God bless you. Thanks, brother. If you stuck around to the end, I appreciate you guys for listening. That was a long episode, but I personally thought it was very fruitful. It was definitely worth the hour of time that you invested in that. If you have any questions, if you have any input, like positive comments from this episode and from the newsletter generally, um, please submit them to me. My email is ambatty at yahoo.com or battyaaron at gmail.com. Either one will get me. I would appreciate your feedback as this newsletter, these podcasts, a lot of the work that I'm putting together on this will eventually go toward what my aim is, what my goal is, a book like my other books on 5-Minute Bible Study. And if you haven't read those or don't know about them, go to 5minutebiblestudy.com slash books. Anyways, that's all for today. We look forward to not too long having Kellen Owen, as I already previewed up on the podcast. We'll have a short podcast episode interview with him again about the issue of pornography and support groups or accountability. Until then, you've been listening to the 5-Minute Bible Study Podcast. Mm-hmm.